But we're here, we're going to wrap up Ecclesiastes this week and next. Um, We're going to look at chapters 11 and 12. And as you know, we've been, at at the end of chapter 12, Solomon's going to say this. He's going to say, here, everything's been heard. I've said it all, okay? I've kind of looked at the entire landscape of humanity, and he goes, here is the conclusion of the matter. That's one of the things that initially drew me to the book. He goes, Here's, here it all is. It all boils down to this. And, um, and in, we're going to do a two-part uh, uh, look at the conclusion of the matter. This week we're going to look at uh, two things. Next week, two things. He's going to make four conclusions about our life. As we've seen, Paul said, or Solomon said, listen, uh, I've looked at the entire world, I've used my senses, I've used the wisdom, I have more wisdom than anybody else ever, and I've seen that under the sun, apart from him, there is no meaning, there is no purpose, there's no value anywhere. And he makes four conclusions um, in light of that. So we're going to jump in right here. We've got a lot to cover, um, so let's get going. He starts in a weird place, though. I'm just going to kind of warn you. He starts in a weird place. First of all, the fir- two points. The first one is life is scary, but don't hide from it. Life is scary, but don't hide from it. He says in verse 1, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Now, in your version, if you're following along, if you still have one of those old paper Bibles, um, they, uh, they might say, uh, cast your bread upon the waters. Just a more poetic way of saying this, ship your grains um, across the waters, your bread. And one of the many ways that Solomon got as rich as he did was he was, he was involved in a lot of trade. One of the main commodities at that time was grain. And so he's trading this grain. He goes, listen, you're not, you are not going to receive a return unless you give something. You give something in order to get something, right? He's just talking investment 101 here. That's all he's saying. And then verse 2, he says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. It's another Hebraic uh, poetic device. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So he goes, don't just send out one ship. Send out seven or eight ships. He said, the reason you do that is because you don't know what's going to happen to your ships. You can't guarantee that every investment will come back. He says, maybe there's pirates out there on the open sea, and they, they loot and plunder and do pirate things. Maybe your ship, it falls apart and it sinks in the ocean. Maybe somebody rips you off in your trade, and you don't get a return. You don't get a positive net result. And so he says, even if you lose out on one or two of those ships, you you've still haven't lost in the overall picture. There were five or six ships that were successful. So he says, spread out here, and his, his advice is insanely practical. He's saying, don't put all your financial eggs in one basket, right? Or as we might say today, diversify your portfolio, right? You've heard that. And in the midst of searching for the meaning of life, Solomon begins his conclusion giving us practical financial advice, right? Like he's plumbing the depths of what it means to be a human, and now he wants to talk stock markets, I hate him. I, I just do. I, I, in Jesus. Um, but what he's, what he's saying here is there's a risk and a reward, right? Solomon could keep his grain. I mean, grain is beneficial. If you kept it all to yourself, you can make bread, you can feed your family, okay? So, so keeping your goods, there's some wisdom there, but what he's saying, his point here is, you know, the saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. No risk, no reward, Okay, if you just keep it, you don't know what it could become. And apparently this is a, a popular maritime 
saying. I, I'm not usually out on the maritime. Um, he says, a, a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. So yeah, maybe your ship won't break. Uh, maybe it'll be safe and sound in the harbor, but that's not why you make a ship. A ship was created to go sail on the open sea. Life was meant to be lived, not hoarded. And so what he says here is diversify your portfolio, and here's why. The end of verse 2, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And listen, we live, we know in our country right now, we're in pretty economically unstable times. And he goes, you don't know what's going to come. The, the housing market could plummet. The stock market could crash, right? Your Medicare, your Social Security, they might not come through like you thought they would. So do not put all your financial eggs in one basket. No one can predict the future. And that's just plain wisdom. Then he moves on, verse 3. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in, a, in a, the place where it falls, there it will lie. So he says, the rain comes and the wind blows. Okay? Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Because if you look around and you see there's some dark clouds coming, and it looks like the wind's going to blow, that might prevent the farmer from going out and doing his work. So as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. He says there are things that are very small human brains just can't figure out. And even if we can spell some things out scientifically, we truly, I mean, the miracle of life is a miracle. And then he says, sow your seed in the morning and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. In other words, you can work your tail off, but you can't always guarantee what the outcome will be. But, but what he's saying here, simply put, is there are things that you and I cannot control. Hard as we want, we cannot ultimately control the wind. And there are things that you and I will never fully understand about the universe. But, he says, don't allow yourself to suffer from the paralysis of analysis. In other words, don't overanalyze the situation and see all the things to be afraid of and then let that inhibit you from doing anything. You might expect Solomon to say here, life is scary, so just give up. Don't even try. But what he says here is life is scary and uncertain, so get busy. You see, if we always wait for the perfect circumstances to kind of align in our lives before we take a step forward, a step of faith, which implies we don't know what's coming next, um, then we're never going to act. The only way to guarantee that you're not going to get a return on your investment is what? To not invest. <laughs> if we don't do it, then you know you're not getting anything back. You remember the parable of the, of the five talents? Jesus gives a story about a master who gives three men, um, or women, age of equality, um, the, he gives them these talents. Now, we often think, oh, that's cute. He handed them a couple nickels and said, go and don't spend it all in one place. But the, the, the wages, the talent, one talent actually equaled 20 years of wages. So when he gives the, the first guy five talents, that's 100 years worth of money. 
And even the guy that gets one talent, that's 20 years worth of income. And he says, I want you to go, and I want you to do something with it. And the first two, they do that. They go, they invest it, they trade it. And when Jesus comes back, what is his word to them? He says, well done, good and faithful servants. And he actually then gives them more. And I love the word that he says. He says, enter into the joy of your master. There is joy here from your master because of what you did with what I gave you. Then the man that comes and has the one town, he goes, don't worry, nothing happened to it. I buried it in the ground. And what's his word to him? He calls him wicked. He says, you could have at least put it in a, a savings account and got some interest on it, you fool, you know. And he takes it from the man and he gives it over to five talent. You see, and, and we know that this clearly is, we're not just talking about financial investment here. Each of us have been given something very precious. As believers, we've been given the good news of Jesus. We've been given his life. But we were not given it to keep to ourselves, to bury it in the sand and protect ourselves from this world. We have received these things freely, and we are to give them away freely. Don't hoard Jesus. But we look around and we go, yeah, but what if I, what if I talk to that guy on the, on the airplane seat next to me? Or, or what if I open up my mouth at work and, and say something? What if I put myself out there and they reject me? What if they don't believe the words that I say? What if they ask me a question that I don't have the answer to? What if I became labeled the office Jesus freak? I don't want to go there. I don't want to risk that. We can't let fear and potential danger overwhelm us and inhibit us from going. And just sometimes we just want to stay inside of our safe walls at, at home or within our church uh, where we feel protected. But that's not where Jesus went, and that's not where we're called to go. So Solomon says, yeah, you're right. The rain not only may fall, it will fall. The, the, the wind is going to blow, and it's going to knock things over. You're going to get hurt. That's one guarantee. If you follow Jesus, it's not going to be an easy road. But our part is not the results. Our part is to be faithful to what God has entrusted us with. And in, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Other versions say, Redeem the time. Each of us have been given time, we've been given abilities, we've been given passions, we've been given circles of influence. Those were not given to us by mistake and without purpose. And each of us have been given the living word of God inside of us. And these are not to keep to ourselves, but to share with a lost and a dying world. So let's invest. In fact, some versions say, let's make most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Because the situation is so desperate because people need Jesus. Our job is to scatter the seed. And, and the analogy there is to live and to share the word of God. First and foremost, by the way that we live, and also by the words that we speak. Let's invest all over the place. Scatter that seed because we don't know where, when, or how God is going to grow it. But the one guarantee we have is we, he is going to grow it. He says, my, my word will not return void. And if we live and speak the truth, he says, there will be a harvest. There will be a day when he says, well done. Enter the joy of your master. And we long for that word. I long for that day and to hear those words from him. So life is, is scary. It is. And it's going to be hard. But he says, don't hide from it. 
Don't hide from it. Invest what you've been given freely into the lives of other people. And then secondly, he says, life is short. Don't waste it. Life is short. Don't waste it. Look at verse 7 of chapter 11. He says, light is sweet and it pleases the eye to see the sun. It pleases the eye to see the sun. And all of God's Alaskans who just came out of winter say, hallelujah. We know not to take the sunshine for granted. I love that I can wake up in the morning and find my way to the bathroom without having to turn a light on. But in the same way, the Californian praises God for the rain, all right? They need it desperately. We, we praise God for both the sunshine and the rain in our lives. Um, and this is sort of a cheesy saying, but it's stuck with me and I like it, um, so I'm just giving it to you. It says, yesterday is history, tomorrow's a mystery, today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. You get it? Um, we can't change the past. We can't predict the future. But what we've been given is today. And in a more biblical way of saying it, Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You notice that's a choice, not a reaction to circumstances. That's a decision. To choose joy is a decision. And then in Psalm 113, it says, From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. All day long, my lips are to honor and worship and to revel in my God. Warren Wearsby said it this way, he said, if we can start each day thanking the Lord for the day he's made for us, we'll radically change the way we live. You hear that? I mean, how often can we get st- stuck on trivial things like the weather? How are you doing today? Well, it's off. Look at, have you seen it out there? How do you think I'm doing? All right? This breakup and this rain and this, you know, and we go, and, and we allow something like the weather to predict our attitude or, and our circumstances. We, we, and, and not that there aren't hard things in our lives, but to remember that our God sends the sunshine and the rain, the hard times and the good times. We said in, in, in chapter 3, he's using all of those things as recipe for our lives to make something beautiful. And if we realize, God, you have given me today, we wake up with the mentality that he has, he has certain works that he has for us to do today, certain people that are going to cross our paths, certain interruptions that are going to come disrupt our schedule. And, and those are from him and things that he wants us to enjoy. And if we wake up and say, God, thank you for today. Thank you in advance for the things that you're going to bring to me today for your glory and for the good of others. And then in verse 8, he says, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Just as we thought Solomon might be going soft on us right? Throwing puppies in the air and thanking God for the sunshine. And he goes, he reminds us of why we don't like him. And he goes, yeah, but remember, you're going to die. And he rambles on about death for the next chapter and a half. Um, And when he says days of darkness, it's a reference to death. And when he says there will be many, that's an intentional understatement. Um, he says the, the death that is coming, it's, it's permanent. And remember, his, his perspective is under the sun from what we can see. He goes, you die, and then that's it. Everything to come is meaningless. It's over. And he's not speaking with eternity in mind. But he takes a step further in verse 10. He goes, um, oh, wait, no. 
takes a step further in verse 9. Uh, he says, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. He says, while you're young, while you can still get out of bed without your bones sounding like popcorn in a microwave. He says, enjoy life. And you'll love this because he says, while you're young, um, he says, follow the ways of your heart and do whatever your heart sees. Um, okay. The, two years ago, I wanted to go on a three-month-long baseball trip. I wanted to see every stadium. So I just kind of pressed pause on all of my responsibilities of life and just, I went and I did it. And you know what? It was the coolest trip I've ever been on. And it was incredible. The people I saw, the places I went, it was amazing. And even in the last stadium um, in Colorado, I met a younger guy who I kind of inspired to maybe go out and do the same thing. And I kind of passed him the baton and, you know, you can do it, son. Um, reach for the stars. But in other words, in other words, don't let your want-tos become I wish I would-haves. Don't let your want-tos become I wish I would-haves and live this life of regret the things that your eyes see, go do them. But you might say, wait a second. Your pastoral advice is to just take three-month-long vacations whenever I want to? <laughs> what kind of a church is this? I want, I, want, I want my tithe back. Well, don't leave, and we don't give refunds. Sorry. Um, but re- notice here, he says in verse 9, watch how he finishes this. He says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. (sighs) Yes, do what you want, but make sure your want-tos begin to line up with God's want-tos. This is not a license to sin. Um, Remember, we have to give an account to our God for the talents that he's given us. Every moment, every decision that we make, every word that we say will be brought unto judgment one day. And only the things that were done in his power are going to stand. Um, but, but I do want to make a side note. God's ways are, are more satisfying than our ways. Not just like more holy, but they're better. Like they, it, his, ways, his ways are higher than our ways, and his ways are, are better than our ways, so that as our heart begins to beat for the same things that God's heart wants to, it's not like all of a sudden we're going to be miserable and have no fun. I mean, a lot of times that's the, the idea of what a church, a Christian's supposed to look like, like all the joys are supposed to go away. No, 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 no. As our hearts line up with God's, we begin to experience a richer joy than we could have ever found without him. Do we trust him, though? Do we trust him with that? Do we trust that his ways are better for us? Are our want-tos truly his want-tos? And then in verse 10, he says, So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles from your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. So we, simple grammar here. He says, so then. So, so what? So what's he coming from? He says, because your ways are going to be judged, because this is going to come under the light of our, our God, he says, be careful how you live, and the way to avoid anxiety of heart and trouble of the body is to live wisely. Um, I've joked about, when we've talked in this series about eating, you know, we said enjoy life, eat dinner with friends, and I said even eat something unhealthy. Well, I've had some people who took issue with that, had to talk to them after the service, and you know, um, 
or run. I just ran out of the door. Um, but here Solomon does show us the, the balance. He says there are consequences for our behavior. Um, and if, 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 we, if we live foolishly, we're going to begin to, I think this anxiety of the heart, he's talking about mental anguish. There are consequences for our, our, our behaviors. And, and sometimes those are bodily. If we smoke cigarettes our entire life, we're at much higher risk for lung cancer. If we continue to overeat and eat unhealthy, there can be obesity, there can be heart failure, there can be diabetes, there can be things that come. In other words, our actions have consequences. The decisions you make now will impact the rest of your life, physically, mentally, and spiritually. The way Matt Chandler said it, he said, deal with your junk now because the older you get, the more it will cost you. Deal with your junk now while you're young because the older you get, the more it will cost you. For example, in a room this size, I know there are many who struggle, who are getting absolutely eaten up by lust. Absolutely eaten up by lust. And maybe it's pornography, maybe it's um, some other sexual temptation. But hear me on this. Um, it, it will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your family, even if you kind of keep the shell together. And I'm not trying to be dramatic or, or sensational. I'm just telling you what the wisest man ever said. Your, your actions now have consequences later. Um, and he, what he says here, he says, youth and vigor are meaningless. Sometimes that word we've said before, that the word meaningless can also be translated vapor. And so what he's saying is youth is over in a moment. Youth is over and before you know it, and it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, Right? The habits that you're forming now will become set more and more in stone the older you get. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, youthful sins lay a foundation for aged sorrows. Youthful sins lay a foundation for aged sorrow. So older, miserable people, angry people, that usually stemmed from young, foolish living. But on the positive side, if we follow Jesus in our youth, that can bring aged joy. And if we pour into what God has given us today, our husband, our wife, our, our children, um, the people he's put in our path, and we build wise habits now, there's a, re, a rich reward to be reaped later. Then, beginning of chapter 12, he says this, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remembering, it means more than occasionally going, oh yeah, God, I remember him. He's a great guy. It's not just occasional recollection that there is a God. And I don't think it's a mistake that he calls him creator here. I remember when I was little, and um, remember when you were a kid and you'd question your mom on something? Like, why do I have to do that? Why? Why? Did they pause and say, well, let me show you this 30-minute PowerPoint presentation on why I'm asking you to do what I'm asking you to do. No, they said, I'm your mother, that's why. Yeah, that's a laugh that says, I know, I've been there. Solomon says here, remember, that God is the very one that gave you the breath that you're currently depending on. He is your creator. And because he made us, we belong to him. Um, he's in charge. And so God doesn't have to always explain why he's doing what he's doing. He simply says, because I'm your creator, that's why. 
And, and Solomon speaks here, he speaks of this, this aged man. Look at, he says, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Um, he's speaking, he says, there's going to be a, a time that comes when you're not going to want to get out of bed in the morning, uh, when it's going to hurt. And he's speaking as a man who's been weathered by time. He's, he has the wisdom of experience, but also the pangs of mistakes that he's made, reminded that, that he has married 700 w- women. Actions have consequences. Um, and I picture Solomon here speaking to his grandson and his grandson saying, well, you know, Grandpa, I'll do God's work later, but I'm young now. I just want to have fun now. I just want to kind of do my own thing. And then when I get to the point where I'm old enough where I can't have fun anymore, then I'll obey God. And Solomon says, that's not how it works. Now is the time. And the longer you wait, the, the more the desire flickers out. See, see life is obedience. Life is, a, life is a long obedience in the same direction. Life is a long obedience in the same direction. We are forming habits in our lives now. And it's not going to get any easier later. And so what he's pleading with is he says, don't forget your creator now. Don't forget him right now. Not when you're in this critical period of your life. It's a vapor. It's going to be over and gone today and tomorrow, but it's very critical. Don't forget your creator. Not while you're choosing a spouse. Not while you're choosing your career path. Not while you're choosing what you believe and what you value in this world. Because now is the time to set that course in the right direction. Don't forget about Jesus right now because the decisions you make now are going to have ramifications for the next 40 or 50 years. But hear me on this. Um, each of us has and will make mistakes. And his grace is sufficient. God is, is building something beautiful out of sinners. And most of the time, if not all of the time, he's operating in spite of us, not because of us. So we just make sure that when we fall, we fall on him. But Solomon's simple point here is sobering. He says there's going to come a day when, when, when life just simply surviving is going to be painful it's going to be miserable. Before that day comes, remember your creator. And then he, he goes in, he wraps this up with this beautiful but, but difficult poem on kind of what, what the aging process looks like. There are some that disagree a little bit on the analogies that he's making, but for the most part, it becomes pretty clear as we go. So he says, remember your creator. Um, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. He's talking about mental vitality. He says the lights are going to start to dim and it's going to become harder to remember, um, harder to, just the mental process will slow down. He says before that happens, remember your creator. When the keepers of the house tremble, talking about our arms, our arms start to become weak and they start to tremble. Um, And the strong men stoop, okay? As our backs start to go, as the legs start to bow, okay? Some of us that happen sooner than others. Um, when the grinders cease because there are few, what's he talking about there? Our teeth. He says you start to lose your teeth. Uh, and those looking through the windows grow dim. What's that? That's our eyes. As the, as the windows grow dim, as it's harder, we lose our eyesight. When the street, then the doors to the street are closed. This is, uh, most, most agree this is talking about our lips. As they start to, as those grinders go away, the lips start to sink in and you start to, and, I, and you know, I, we can laugh at that, but I mean, it's reality. And remember, this was before dentures, right? So you, you have one set of teeth, don't waste them, brother, because then that's it. Um, 
And in fact, I mean, this is an age before contact lenses, before eyeglasses, before organ transplants, before artificial hips and knees. The aging process was very different back then. However, uh, all the science, technology, medicine in the world, we've yet to find a cure for death, right? I mean, this delays the inevitable. Um, the only cure for death is, is Jesus in the ultimate sense. Um, and then he says, and the sound of grinding fades. Again, um, you're not going to be able to eat corn on the cob. I'm sorry. Uh, when people rise at the sa- up at the sound of birds, he's saying, listen, you're going you're gonna to wake up earlier the older you get. Okay, that's not from God. Um, and, and then he says, it's going to be easier to wake up in the middle of the night. And it is. But all their songs grow faint. So the birds wake you up earlier, but the song grows faint. What? It's harder to hear, right? It's harder to hear. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, as you grow older, you start to slow down, but it seems as though the world is speeding up. And to even drive, to be in large crowds, it becomes more overwhelming. It's a hard process. And it says, when the almond tree blossoms, and I like this one, it's like, um, you might think, oh, that sounds nice, but what happens when an almond tree blossoms? It turns white. So what's he talking about? Yeah. And then, you know what happens after they turn white? They blow away. <laughs> so, hey, you know, you can tell your spouse, oh, honey, I love the way your almond tree is blossoming. Um, and the grasshopper drags itself along just to bend over, just to, just to move becomes slower and more difficult. And desire is no longer stirred. And I like this one. This, he's referring to sexual desire here. And isn't this, isn't this about right for Solomon to put sexual desire very last? He goes, I'm bald, I'm blind, I can't move, I can't see. And only then am I going to say, okay, I realize it's over for me, right? Um, and no pharmacies at that time, okay? Just moving on. Um, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. He says that then at the end of that, eventually the body breaks down. There's nothing left for you but death and for your friends and family to mourn you. Um, and we make jokes, but growing old is, is painful and it's, and it's hard. And it was not intended. That was part of the curse. That was part of the fall. Uh, we were given the tree of life in, in the garden, but when we rebelled against God and we got disconnected from that life source because we are unholy and he is holy, the body, the reason that we age is because we're no longer connected to our life source. And then he says at the end here, remember him, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the picture is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. This is a, this is a, a poetic way of saying everything shuts down and we die. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. He says, before we go back to the dust from which we were created, remember him. Remember that he is God and that he created you. So we have some application to make here today. Matt, Matt Chandler asked it this way. I mean, how many of you guys like hunting? Okay, you know what? You won't always. Um, there's going to come a day when physical reasons, mental reasons, you... You stop hunting and you even start to stop desiring it. You know, do you like fishing? Um, do, do you like hiking? Um, listening to music? Do you like reading? Do you like spending time with family and friends? There's going to become a point in time when, when the desire for those things and the ability to do those things fades. Um, there's going to come a day when your mind may not even recognize your own family members. It's hard. It's hard. But we've got today. We have today. This is the day the Lord has made. We have one set of teeth, 
for the most part, we have a pair of hips. We have the ability to see and to laugh and to love and to absorb all that God has for us. So in light of that, a couple things, and then we'll be done. Principles, principles for this scary, short life. Life is scary and life is short, but remember your creator. Number one, your life is not your own. Our, our life is not our own. It doesn't belong to us. First Corinthians 6, you were bought at a price. So not only did God create us, and he, 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 he is in charge simply because he created us, but then we rebelled against him, and he bought us back with the blood of Jesus. And now he is our master, a good master, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he's our master nonetheless. Therefore, he says, honor God with your bodies. The things that he's given us, the faculties that we have, we're to make much of him. We're to honor and glorify God with the things that he's given us. And one of the things I think this means is, you know, go out and enjoy the life God has given us, but do it in a manner that glorifies him. So I'd say, whatever you love to do, do it, but redeem that time. If you love playing basketball, go to the rec center and strike up a conversation there with somebody you've never met before. If you love hiking, invite a coworker along that doesn't know the Lord and, and, and ask great questions and get to know them and look for opportunities for the Spirit to lead you to maybe to live Jesus and to speak Jesus. Being a Christian doesn't mean you have to be miserable. Do the things you love for Jesus. Number two, invest your talents. Invest your God-given talents. We do our part, God does his. See, our part is to invest the talents that he's given us. Um, in as many areas as possible. Scatter the seed. The God's part is the rest of it, right? The, what, what comes of it, the results, that's, that's up to him. We don't have to focus on outcomes. If the, if the Spirit's prompting you to say something, say it. If he's prompting you to do something, do it. Um, and oftentimes, it's scary. We don't know if it's going to work. We don't know if it's going to be effective. We don't know what's going to happen, but that's, that's, not, that's not up to us. Even Paul knew this. He said in 1 Corinthians 6, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. See, Paul says, I shared the word of God with you by my life and by my words. And then Apollos came along and he encouraged it. But what made it grow? What made your heart change? That wasn't us. Listen, we don't save people. That's not our job. Our job is to live the truth and to speak the truth. And then God, God gives the growth. Let's let God be God. We do our part, and God does his. And then finally, don't put off for tomorrow what should be done today. Don't put off for tomorrow what should be done today. Proverbs 3. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. You have somebody that doesn't know the Lord. I mean, this is real, and we're not guaranteed a tomorrow. You know, we could go. They could go. Jesus could come back. And if there's something you can say now, if there's something you can do now, do it today because we're not guaranteed a tomorrow and as Solomon says it gets harder as you get older so let's let's invest what God has given us today let's live for God love our neighbor today father um, it's so easy to forget that you are a creator to, so so easy just to kind of lose sight of what it is that we're on this earth to do and we get caught up by the things that the world is presenting to us and tells us that we need and that we're not going to survive without. And so we just indulge in the entertainment and the comforts um, and, and, and the fears and the realities of where we're at today, God. But I pray that we remember that, that you are our creator and that you've made today that, the, that the, the, the good and the bad, the sunshine and the rain, they are recipes that come from you. And sometimes, God, that is a hard pill to swallow. 
And we don't know why you've given us what you've given us. And you do, we don't know why you've put on our plate what you've put on our plate. But I pray that we would not be slaves to circumstance. I pray that we would believe, that we would choose joy and believe that there's a God who transcends those circumstances that has come and redeemed all things, that has given us his son and that life. But that life is not given to us to, to just hide out with and to hoard until he comes back. We're not called to bury ourselves into the sand and just wait. Lord, you would have taken us home if that was the case, but you've left us on this earth to make disciples. You've left us on this earth to share the gospel. I pray that you would give us the boldness to go, the words to speak, and the love, that we would love our neighbor enough to scatter the seed, to share the word of God by the way we live and the words we speak. Because we're not our own, let us honor you with our bodies and our lives. Thank you that you've made today. I pray that we'd seize it, scatter our seed, and honor you. It's in your son's precious, beautiful name that we pray. Amen.